Stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you once again to Bible study time here with Rick Bonfin Ministries. It's great to be able to, well, think about the Lord a little bit and settle ourselves down to study and to enjoy the Word of God and the life in God. So we're going to look again at the God book of James. We're going to think this morning about some of the uh, aspects of James that you may not have thought about, and we're going to look together at those things and spend some time with that. Let me offer a prayer as we begin together. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, bless us in our time together. Help us to learn something new this morning. Help us to fall in love with you again and again in deeper ways. Help us to rejoice in the mystery of your creation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The text that I was given to talk to you about this morning is embedded in a context about trials and times of testing that we go through. Let me read it to you. It's First James chapter 1 at verse 16. It says this. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Period. So that's a beautiful text. We're going to have to reach for a context to make some sense out of it, I think. If we do 1 James 16, we must see that it's related to maybe, let's go back to verse 12 and pick it up there. And then go past 16, which you ought to do when you study God's word. Go on past it, say down to verse 18. So if you have your Bible, just look at chapter 1 and verse 12 as I begin to read here. Blessed is a man who endures trials because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away 
and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. For every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning, but his own, by his own choice, he gives us a new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. And there ends the lesson for this morning. Would like to gather a few thoughts on this, these verses around a sort of a theme the beauty of the testing. The beauty of the testing. As a young man, I was converted when I was 27 years old. I had a very good life. I had a young family. I had the means to do many things that others could not. I was truly blessed with a good home, good parents, good wife, good children. But when I was converted, I began to look again more closely at God's Word because I had not done that. I had studied the Bible some, but in a kind of a glancing way, and the word was frozen to me like ice on a mill pond. I could dimly see through it, but it was too difficult for me to crack open until, for some mysterious reason, God led me to this particular passage here where every gracious act, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down, the old King James Version says, from the Father of lights. As the beauty of that sprinkled over me that day, I remember well, I remember very, very well, seeing for the first time how really, truly beautiful God's creation really was. I stopped counting the grains of sand and began to look at the beach. How beautiful it was, just in its completed state. I stopped looking at so many trees and started to behold the joy of the forest and how wonderful it's, it smelled in the, in the fall. In short, 
I began to approach God from the realm of aesthetics. That is the beauty of God and the glory of his creation. As I struggled around to find out what theology I had, that is to say, what my approach to God would be like, I stumbled across it in this particular verse of James. Oh, everyone has it their place where they sense how God is going to remake their life. But mine was here. Mine was in the beauty of the world. And many years later, I was to discover that this is a teleological approach to God. I didn't know what it was. But it's not popular too much anymore. A person coming to God now comes largely mentally. The point that I'm trying to make with James here is that James is prior to so many things we take for granted intellectually. He's prior to so many of those foibles that we have today regarding impossibilities and we think we know where everything is in the universe. We know all there is to know about the human mind. We say we do when we actually know very little about many things. But James didn't have those what we call hang-ups. He saw God in the stars. He saw God in his fellow man. He could see God in difficulties, problems. When they arose, he didn't think about how he was going to get out of it. He thought about, what is God trying to teach me in this time of testing? Historically speaking, this was a very difficult time for the infant church. It was going through persecution and trials. A time when people were, were given over to hatred and persecuting people who they disliked because they just felt like they had it all together. But if you look in your Bible... Back, say, at the book of Acts, and turn there, you'll see that the first Christian martyr, poor old Stephen, the, the martyr, when they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw God's glory with Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. They screamed at the top of their voices, stopped their ears and rushed together against him, threw him out of the city, began to stone him. Witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They were stoning Stephen as he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge this against them as sin, saying this. He fell asleep. 
There couldn't be too much worse persecution than that. It's not just the persecution of the Jews, of Christians. Everybody was against them. The Romans, everybody was against that church. It says in, 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 in chapter 11, verse 19, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution. This is James, who was scattered as a result of the persecution. If we can trust tradition, we can know that he was beheaded horribly in front of a crowd in the holy city itself. What more persecution could you have? But in spite of all that, James is thinking about a vision. A vision of how when a person identified with Jesus, he gave them that identity. He gave them that goodness. And it came down from the Father of Lights. And their destiny became something far beyond the grave. He didn't need to explain it in layman's terms. He just held forth with it in the best way that he could. He believed that your Christian identity, your Christian destiny, could transform your present state of affairs. Now, this is weird. This is where this gets really, really odd and weird. So that they could die happy. (laughs) They could stand before their persecutors with a smile because they knew that their identity and their destination and destiny was what mattered. That transformed their present. So James starts with beauty. Not law. He teaches by inspiration. Shows them a vision of beauty. And how the beauty of holiness transforms a human being. Billy Graham, in one of his books, I believe it was a sermon, talked to great lengths about how he thought Jesus was the most beautiful human being who ever lived. He said he was, he was perfect in every way. He was handsome. He was glorious. He was wonderful. I'll let Billy Graham provide you with the details of that. But my favorite description of Jesus comes from a woman who's long dead now and died in the 70s. 
but I've been studying her song. Her name was Catherine Kuhlman. Any of you probably don't remember her, but I certainly do. She was an evangelistic preacher. When women preachers were practically non-existent, she carved out a feminine approach to the transference of the gospel, and she frequently used uh, gestures that would stimulate the thought of beauty. She had flaming red hair, and uh, against which she often wore long green gowns. And just just a, uh, a glorious woman. She had made these wonderful remarks, but she talked about God and beauty of God and the beauty of Jesus. And she would gesture and say, Jesus is absolute perfection. You don't come to understand that, she would point out, because it is not your mental ability that enables you to approach Jesus, but your mental attitude, which gets you there. That, there you have it. You see, James is of the same mind. You can have all the mental knowledge about the Bible and everything you want, but if you have a poor attitude, this is not going to get you to the throne of grace. The Holy Spirit won't come anywhere near it. But the moment our attitude is adjusted and we're open to him, he approaches. You can feel him, you can sense him, you can know that he's there. Not that you forget about him, but that you don't you don't have to talk about it all the time. This is the James who is able to build a mother church at Jerusalem in the midst of great persecution. This is the power of this this preacher. There was a history to Jesus. Um, probably James wrote this 40 years after after the resurrection. Certainly there was a Jesus of history, but <laughs> the Jesus of history has to become the Christ of faith. Says Martin Kaler, great German theologian, Jesus of history becomes the Christ of faith. For James, Jesus was still alive in the power of the Holy Ghost who would come upon you and give you the biggest attitude adjustment you ever had in your whole life. You'll be able to see beauty for the first time in God's creation, in others, and understand how blessed you are because every good gift comes from the Father of lights. Don't stray from that. Don't stray from that for one second. Don't take one step away from that. All good things.
come down from the Father of lights. All good things. All good Jesus. Jesus said on one occasion, and on many occasions he remarked on about beautiful things. He would, he would look at things and say, he said, look at the fowl of the air, the King James Version. But look at the bird. What is the Lord God doing telling us to look at birds? <laughs> we have too much, we have too many important things to do. Now I have to make potato salads for that church supper tomorrow night. I cannot be looking at birds. Look at the bird. Another James, James Audubon, looked at the birds. Wrote about the birds of North America, all of them. And he combined aesthetics with science. Wonderful man. You, 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 you can combine your love of beauty with your love of intellectual accuracy. You don't have to have intellectual accuracy at the expense of beauty and the way you behold it and love it. You don't have to have just a beautiful, beautiful mind at the expense of, of intellectual power. It just, it just doesn't work that way. They come together. They kiss one another. They, and, and Jesus says, look at the birds. Give them a, give them a, a time in your life. Why do you think we'll spend millions of dollars on bird feeders <laughs> in this great country of ours? Well, why, why do you think we do that on on field glasses so we can look at them, look at them, look at them? Look. Because they're absolutely fascinating. They come down onto this earth from the Father of Lights in the most beautiful, brilliant colors of the rainbow. Even a duck is iridescently covered all over his, his head and body to shine forth the light of God. Do you love beauty? I think James did. I can see it when he's coming through in what he says. He has a, a red big toolbox of all kinds of love of God's world. And he thinks as we should think, I believe, that trials are therefore good for us. I know that sounds odd, but we are stewards of everything that comes down from God. Once it lands here on earth, we're supposed to take care of it. We're, we're, we are not supposed to possess it. We don't possess anything here. We're going to leave this world in a, in a moment of time, in a blink of an eye, the grass is going to wither, the flowers are going to fall off, and we're going to be gone. Gone. What we have, we must take care of. See that it's used properly. Trials are good. Try, try, they make you mindful of how important what you have been given is. You and I have been given a life. We've been given power. We've been given money. We are given food. We are given clothes. 
just like the birds of the air, Jesus said. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't put things away in banks and barns. They don't do that. Because their Heavenly Father feeds them. The Heavenly Father, in all his beauty, was feeding and fueling James the Apostle, who is going to share with us the words of God. Do not be deceived. Deceive is a good word, my dearly beloved brothers, he called them. My dearly beloved. Do not be deceived. Every generous act, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. We are first fruits of his kingdom. That is the number one thing that Jesus died for. By the way, he died for the little birds too. <laughs> he died for everything in creation. But we're first. We're first in line to be delivered from the punishment of sin. Jesus took that punishment on himself. We're delivered from the power of sin, which is guilt. Guilt. And the guilt is the best thing you've got because it leads to contrition. And contrition leads to confession. And confession leads to salvation. When God delivers you from it. Well, I don't want to preach to you too much this morning. But the problem is, the text is a sermon. From start to finish. And it's not even a long one. If it's read in public with power. God may have just allowed testing for the purpose of bringing forth faith and patience which ultimately honor him and in the case of John he explained that further blessings await us that endure temptation. Well, this brings to an end the subject matter which is before us. Now, James wants to say to you, don't drift away from it. Don't don't drift away. We drift away. Let God walk with you today, all day. Don't, don't drift away. Don't, don't drift away. When I was a young fellow, I had a little rowboat and I would go out and go fishing in the river and I didn't have an anchor I didn't have an anchor I thought it was unnecessary because <laughs> I, I would get bored fishing anyway so I would go out and sit in the boat and fish one day the fishing got good I caught some big fish caught a great big old croaker two or three of them and they would fall in the bottom of the boat and a croak of fish is beautiful. Silver white fish and he, he croaks. And he was flapping around the boat. And I became distracted by my, my, my fishing ability. No anchor. I started, I was drifting. I knew where I was going. 
I didn't care. I was catching fish. Pretty soon I saw a dark cloud in the sky, and I said, I wonder where I, I better get on back to the dock. Next thing I knew, I looked up, and the dock was a long way off. And that little rowboat, I was paddling that rowboat like a Olympic sculler trying to get to shore. Sculling, 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 sculling. <laughs> I thought a wind came and got me, but it didn't. But I made it. But uh, many times I wished I'd had an anchor. Next time I went fishing, I took an anchor with me. And before I went fishing, I threw the anchor overboard to hold me where I thought I was before I got carried away. That's what this James is about. That's what this little verse is about. Don't drift away. Don't be deceived. But be transformed into the word of God. Now may the Lord bless you this day. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he fill you with visions of his beauty on this earth. The glory of his creation. And the order of it. Oh, we love you, Lord, above all things and praise your holy name. Amen. Amen. Goodbye till next time, beloved. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Rosa de Sarol